0: Alfredo Ferrari, nicknamed Dino, was an Italian automotive engineer and the first son of automaker and founder Enzo Ferrari. Enzo, who at the time of Alfredo's birth was a racing driver for Alfa Romeo, had vowed to stop racing cars if he had a son. True to his word, he retired from driving in 1932 and would later create the sports car company that carries his name. Dino would become an engineer for Ferrari and in his short career he would be credited for making the 750 Monza racing car, named after the race it won and the very first race this car was released for. During his time at Ferrari, Alfredo started experiencing health problems. His physical movements gradually became stiff, and he was often unable to maintain his balance. At his return to Medina, he was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. In the final days of his life, while hospitalised, he discussed technical details of the 1.5-litre V6 with the fellow engineer, Vittorio Jano. Alfredo would never see the engine. He died in Medina on 30th of June 1956 at the age of 24. After his death, his father, Enzo, named the car fitted the engine that Alfredo was working on at the time of his death, Dino, in his honour. Welcome to Genetic Drift, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of genetic diseases and try to lift some of the stigma around them. I'm your co-host, Anthony.
1: And I'm Juliet. Ooh, racing car story.
0: Well, some of it's to do with racing cars. It's um, a little bit dark, what happens.
1: Yeah, did you say he died at age 24?
0: Yes, 24.
1: Goodness. So, what is this? Did you say muscular dystrophy?
0: Yeah, this is Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a type muscular dystrophy.
1: Okay, let's jump right into it. Tell me about it.
0: Okay. Duchenne muscular dystrophy is an inherited progressive muscle wasting condition where the patient's mus- muscles gradually weaken over time. So they just get weaker and weaker and start kind of dying away basically.
1: Okay, but but don't but can't you build muscle?
0: So the muscles get bigger and they make like larger protein strands in them and they have more material in the cells themselves. But if the cells, if the muscle cells themselves burst, then they can't recover. Small tears they can recover from. So you hear about muscle building, people trying to create micro tears. And in that situation, the body puts like loads of protein and invests energy into building the cells up in that area. But if the cells actually burst and the muscle tears, that area never fully recovers.
1: Is that with everyone, or just with muscular dystrophy? That's with everyone. Wait, what?
0: If you tear a muscle, that muscle will always be weaker than it was before the tear.
1: Okay, we're gonna have to break down... Tell me some stuff about muscles, please.
0: <laughs> muscles are, are tissues that contract to make movement happen.
1: Yeah? Got that bit?
0: So they're made up of these little bundles, and in those bundles they have, uh, they have loads of cells. Now, the cells contract in a coordinated fashion within their bundles. So you have these fiber bundles that contract to make a movement. You don't seem to get any more of those cells. What you get is what you have. So if any of them die, there's no recovery point from them. If the cell bursts, like when you tear muscle, those cells can't, you can't grow new cells to replace them.
1: Wait, you can't grow new muscle cells?
0: Doesn't seem to be the case, no. Not unless you have stem cells in the area.
1: But uh, what happens when you... Is that through your whole life? Yeah. You never grow new muscles.
0: You you have stem cells, but if you do enough damage to the cells around the area, you can't replace them with the stem cells you have.
1: This is wild. You just don't grow new cells.
0: Basically. So if enough of them get damaged and start dying, you're not going to be able to replace them.
1: My mind is blown. So what happens when, when you go work out at the gym loads and your mus- What happens when you go work out at the gym loads and your muscles get
0: big? You're causing micro tears. So in this situation, you're causing small amounts of damage that the body can easily repair.
1: When I go work out, I'm tearing my muscles.
0: Micro tears, yeah. So it's it's a bit like if you poke little holes in a piece of paper, it's kind of easier, easy to push the holes back into place and then maybe put some glue on it and it'll be fine. But if you tear them, you can't put everything back exactly the way it was.
1: Okay, I don't think I'm asking about micro-tears. I think I'm asking about why your muscles get big if there's no more cells.
0: So the reason that they get bigger is that you start putting more strands of protein in the cells, so the cell itself gets bigger. You don't get more cells, you just get bigger cells.
1: Oh, so every time... My muscles change size, it's just the cells changing size, not more or less cells? Yes. Whoa!
0: Muscle cells can be very long.
1: So I still have the same muscle cells I had as a baby, but now they are just much bigger?
0: Mostly. I think some do get replaced by stem cells, but when you cause things like tears, there's not enough to replace them.
1: Whoa. Okay, thank you for that background, because I did not know that much about muscle cells.
0: Yeah. So. In this case, what's happened is that you've inherited this problem that means that your muscles can't maintain their structural integrity and they will progressively start bursting, so those cells die. Bursting? Yeah, so if you think of a cell as a bag of liquid that's being held together by like a little skeleton on the inside so it keeps its structure, and that skeleton is anchoring the bag in place, Now, if that anchor's not working properly, the bag can start tearing, and all the liquid can come out, and then there's nothing left. And that's what happens with the muscle cells.
1: And then it's dead, and you can't replace it.
0: Yeah. So as more and more of those start bursting, your muscles get weaker and weaker.
1: Oh, so is that part of why as you get much older, you tend to get weaker? Yes. Oh, okay. So what happens specifically in muscular dystrophy?
0: You have a faulty protein that's responsible for holding that skeletal structure in place and anchoring the bag, as it were, for the cell.
1: Okay, so your your muscle cells are just kind of bursting all over the place?
0: Yeah, which is why you get progressively weaker over time.
1: Progressively weaker. So does that mean that you're getting weaker from the moment you're born?
0: You can exercise the muscles and build strength in that way, but areas, um, so for example, your hand, if some of those muscles start wasting away, it can never get as strong as it could have done when you were younger.
1: Okay, so tell me about the symptoms of muscular dystrophy.
0: So symptoms will typically start when someone's aged between two months and three years old, and a child... Who has Duchenne may have difficulty walking, running or jumping. Uh, It might be difficult for them to stand because obviously if their muscles are weakened they can't hold themselves up as easily. Uh, They may learn to speak later than usual because it's harder for them to move their tongue, their jaws, or coordinate that movement. Children may be unable to climb the stairs without support beyond an age that you would expect them to be able to. And there might also be some behavioural or learning difficulties. I don't know why with that. They also may need a wheelchair by the age of 12. So this can progress quite quickly, and scoliosis is quite common because the muscles supporting the spine get weaker.
1: Okay, so as you're growing up, you're not... you just don't have the strength to really pull your body around?
0: That's just as a child. Oh no. In teens... Someone might develop what's called cardiomyopathy. Now, this just means that the chambers in the heart get bigger, and the walls, so the muscles themselves, start getting thinner. So the heart muscles start getting more delicate.
1: So your heart might explode.
0: Kind of, yeah.
1: You didn't, you didn't argue with me on that.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not the, mo- it's not, it's not particularly an accurate description. It's a pretty good one. Oh. And if you're an adult, then breathing problems are often an issue because the uh, diaphragm, the muscle that you think of when you breathe in and out, and the uh, intercostal muscles, which are just the muscles between your ribs, start getting weaker, which means that eventually you may not be able to breathe so well and you might need help breathing.
1: Ah, well, so this has a very serious effect on your day-to-day life. Yes. It sounds like... Somebody with with D- Duchenne Duchenne somebody with Duchenne muscular dy- dystrophy is unable to move might be in a wheelchair and then might be progressively having more and more issues breathing yes oh this is a rough one
0: yeah this is a very difficult one to deal with and so obviously treatment's important
1: so how do you find out if someone has this
0: Well, some of the first steps are to conduct a physical exam and look at a a patient's family history, because some of these symptoms are fairly obvious.
1: I guess if your child isn't developing as quickly as you'd expect.
0: Yes. There's also a blood test that you can do. So, you may have heard of creatine before, like that supplement that bodybuilders use. Well, creatine kinase is released when your cells burst. And you, you sometimes get a little bit of in your blood anyway, because if the cells are damaged, if the muscle cells are damaged, they might release some. But if you have really high levels of this creatine kinase, then you know that the muscle cells are bursting in de- in quite large numbers, which then tells you that someone has a form of muscular dystrophy. Ooh. This won't tell you the type, but it'll tell you that someone has muscular dystrophy.
1: That's a really interesting test.
0: Yep. There's another test that you can do, which is a muscle biopsy. So, you know, where you'd like use a needle, take a small amount of the muscle cells from the muscle, and then you look at it under a microscope. And you can use this to distinguish some of the types of muscular dystrophy by looking at the proteins and seeing if they're the right shape or length.
1: Ooh, so the, the cells themselves will look a bit different?
0: They, they will, um, they won't, there won't be as many cells in the area. So if you take a certain amount of tissue, you'll see less muscle cells and you might see, for example, more fat, fat cells and more scar tissue. Oh. There's also something called a nerve conduction study, which basically think of the matrix where they put a few, like, uh, they run little currents to cause the muscles to contract. And from that, they can work out if the muscles are contracting as powerfully as they should be.
1: Okay. So if you're if you had muscular dystrophy, you might, your muscles might not be contracting as strongly.
0: Yeah. And where unlike motor neuron disease, the muscles will contract because it's not the nerves that are a problem. So by using that electrical current, you're stimulating the nerves that then stimulate the muscle. So you know it's not a it's not a nervous problem.
1: Oh, I guess it could be quite hard to diagnose at first between all these different Nervous conditions and muscle issues.
0: Yes. So then the next test you might want to do is an MRI, which is obviously just to get a closer look at the uh, muscles. You might see that, for example, the bicep on one side is like noticeably smaller than the bicep on the other. And this might give you an idea that there's some muscle wasting that's kind of happening in certain er areas and that certain areas are representing it earlier than others.
1: Okay, so when is this usually diagnosed? Is it something you tend to figure out really quite early on?
0: Well, yeah, the symptoms tend to present themselves when someone's a baby, so you start noticing these things quite early, so they start doing a lot of these tests quite early as well. And, you know, they'll often do uh, genetic testing as well, because a lot of the tests I've just said won't necessarily distinguish the type of muscular dystrophy, they'll just tell you that you have muscular dystrophy.
1: Sounds like an awful lot to go through.
0: Yeah, but you want to know—you want to know the right things so that you can do the right treatment. So it's—it's it's kind of worth going through it.
1: Okay. Are there lots of different types of muscular dystrophy then?
0: Yes, and I do not know what all of them are, so I can't list them.
1: That's fine. I do not want to have to learn all of the things today.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: So, what is the outlook for patients?
0: Well, unfortunately, it's kind of an ongoing theme with this series, but uh, there's no cure for Duchenne, muscular dystrophy, and uh, once you start seeing heart and respiratory muscles getting damaged, then Duchenne can become life-threatening. Oh no! Now, typical life expectancy is about in the 30s, but this can vary quite a bit based on whether or not you start showing symptoms in the heart or the lungs, earlier or later or what the progression of your illness is this is obviously quite serious
1: wow yeah that's a really big impact on life expectancy Mhm. and on quality of life in the meantime
0: yes this can make things very difficult so obviously the treatments are important and at the moment the main aim of the treatments are to manage symptoms and to try and maintain maximum independence. So this includes physiotherapy, so strengthen the muscles that are still left, Uh, physical aids such as wheelchairs and crutches, conducting low-impact exercises, kind of like the physiotherapy, but swimming's quite good for uh, patients with muscular dystrophy of any kind, Um, occupational therapy, particularly to help facilitate working, corrective surgery for scoliosis is an example, and interestingly, uh, beta-blocker drugs. Beta-blockers? Isn't that blood pressure? Yes. And that's because if you have an irregular heartbeat or if you have thin mu- uh, thin uh, heart muscle walls, you might want to lower the blood pressure so that they're not straining as much.
1: Hmm, that's so interesting. It feels like the symptoms of this disease are really uh, quite physical.
0: Yes, they're very physical. And that's kind of why a lot of the treatments are quite physical as well. There's also in you know later cases, there's assisted ventilation.
1: Oh, so, to help you breathe,
0: yeah, so historically that'd be like the iron lung,
1: yeah, what I'm thinking is it I think it's worth noting that having this disease doesn't necessarily affect your intellectual capacity. No, I thought not it typically. was really striking in the story that he was still helping design an engine,
0: yeah, it was a it was quite a revolutionary thing for the time, as a powerful engine, and that car is still a classic. It's one of those cars that can sell for hundreds of thousands of pounds because it's both rare, it's a good it's a good example okay, of a change okay. in engineering.
1: <laughs> we don't need a How classic rude. car.
0: How rude. <laughs> there are some other treatments as well. So interestingly, the researchers have worked out that... uh corticosteroids can slow down the process of muscle weakening. I don't know how. This is corticosteroids, not anabolic steroids. So not what you're thinking of when I say steroids.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So think more the anti-inflammatory steroids. And they also temporarily strengthen muscle. However, this has to be weighed up with the side effects, which are weakened bones and weight gain. With, with a severe condition, yeah, the uh, side effects can sometimes end up just being overlooked because they're really not as severe as going without the treatment. What is quite cool is for some patients there is a treatment that actually kind of helps deal with the problem itself a bit.
1: Ooh, tell me about it.
0: So it's called Atalurin in the UK or the brand name is Translana and the basic breakdown of this is that the drug allows a patients with a specific type of mutation to, for their cells to ignore the fault and make a normal protein. So it kind of just They see this problem and they go, I'm just going to skip over that and continue. Okay. Unfortunately, this only applies to 13% of cases.
1: Oh, that's disappointing.
0: A little bit, yeah.
1: It's good that it's there, though. Yeah,
0: like, it's a good sign of progress.
1: So tell me about the genetics on this one.
0: Okay, so this condition is what's known as an X-linked recessive condition.
1: X-linked. So you get it... On the X chromosome, so if you're a man, you're more likely to get it. Yes. Because you don't have a second X chromosome to outweigh it. Correct. And it's rec- recessive. Mm-hmm. So if you're a woman, you need it from both parents. Yes. And if you're a man, you just need it from your mom. Yes. Yeah! I'm finally getting it!
0: Congratulations. So, sadly, though, a third of cases occur what's called de novo, which just means a random mutation. What? A third? Yeah, which meant later on that caused some real problems for trying to work out where this came from.
1: A third just come out of nowhere? Your body's just like, nope. Don't want to do the muscle thing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's because quite a lot of the mutations that you can get in uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy are little small changes, so it's kind of easy to have a problem occur if it only takes a small change for something to go horribly wrong.
1: I don't like this one. It's sad.
0: Yeah, it, it is sad. There are, thankfully, later on I'll be covering like some of the uh, progress that's being made to improve things, so there is an optimistic future. I'll let you know that now. So the gene itself that's affected is known as the DMD gene, which stands for Duchenne muscular dystrophy.
1: Yay, nice and simple.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's the longest known human gene as well. It's it's so like, as far as genes go, it's ridiculously oversized. And that has made some research a bit more confusing later on. But it makes a protein that's called dystrophin. Dystrophin is a protein that's needed to maintain the fibers of the cell membrane and the way it does that is that it's part of the muscle cell skeleton and it kind of anchors the membrane in place so if that's not working it's not anchoring the membrane in place it's not maintaining the skeletal structure and eventually it bursts
1: so you don't have like the keystone in the arch keeping all the bits together
0: yeah that's a good way of thinking about it okay now 65 percent of Duchenne cases involve what's kind of crazy is a deletion of an entire exon so I'll yes break it down. i
1: knew what that meant yep i'll break it down <laughs> for you
0: genes are broken uh, genes are divided into exons and introns introns are the in quotes junk dna that you kind of throw around so that if you need to rearrange things you move them out and you move other things together junk dna basically it just means it doesn't code a protein
1: okay okay i'm just gonna move past that okay
0: Yeah, it's just introns don't code for a protein. Exons code for a protein. So by having an exon deleted, there's an entire section of protein missing.
1: Is that unusual?
0: That's a big mutation. Exons can be thousands of bases long.
1: Oh, so in previous ones we've discussed, is it just an amino acid that's not there?
0: It can be, or it can be an amino acid that's not there, one that is there.
1: Okay, so in this one you're missing the entire protein.
0: So you're missing an entire section of the protein. So
1: you're missing an entire section of the protein?
0: Yeah, so a big chunk.
1: Okay.
0: So obviously that can be a problem. And this can for some reason this can actually stall the reading of the gene as well. So in other in other cases, what this can do is where that deletion's happened instead of just a section being missed, missed, as happens in some cases, it just gives up on reading beyond that point, and you just get an incomplete protein that your your cells throw away.
1: So you end up without the protein at all?
0: Effectively, yes. So if you're not making it, then you're not anchoring things in place, which is why they start bursting.
1: Oh boy. So you really need that protein.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, On a cellular scale, it's pretty catastrophic.
1: So how common is this?
0: Well, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is the most common form of muscular dystrophy. Uh, because it's excellent recessive. it's a lot more common in men, with one in every three and a half thousand male births having Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So that's quite common. Yeah. It's a lot rarer in women, though. For female births, it's one in every 50 million.
1: Whoa. Very different
0: yeah quite a bit now with this one i didn't look into other illnesses caused by the disease because frankly the progression is severe enough and it causes enough problems with the heart and lung issues so we're going to be wrapping it up for that part no extra sadness this one's sad enough at that point we want to go on to the interesting history and the optimistic future now okay we'll see you after the break
1: History time! History time! History time! You're silly. Yeah.
0: Yes, it is history time. You're going to be a little disappointed with this one. Oh. So, I was able to find some potential records in human history for muscular dystrophy. Can't go as far as saying Duchenne at any point in this. Uh, there were some cases. There are some potential cases recorded in ancient Egypt. So there's a painting on the wall of a tomb in Beni Hassan, which depicts a boy with, uh, physical features that would indicate muscular dystrophy. These include things like a large, enlarged calf to compensate for weaknesses in the other leg muscles, being bent over from scoliosis and other features. This dates back to the Middle Kingdom, which is between 2800
1: and 2500 BC. Okay. But. It it could be a lot of things, right?
0: Yeah, it could be other things. But at the moment, people's best guess is it's some form of muscular dystrophy. And Duchenne is the most common one. So numbers-wise, if it is muscular dystrophy, it's most likely to be that.
1: Huh, cool. And I guess this is a disease where it still looks kind of the same as it always has historically. It's not like others where we've prolonged the lifespan so much more. That
0: the physical features change,
1: yeah, like in some others we cover they cause such high infant mortality that we don't have that the historical record of them is not the same as what we know now
0: some of them it's non-existent because of the uh because of the case of uh infant mortality,
1: but in this it's kind of the same throughout history, right
0: it seems so i wouldn't i I don't know what I could say too much about it, besides that there's a couple of cases that might be mo- that might be muscular dystrophy. Okay. There is another ancient Egyptian one that might show it, which is a relief painting from the 18th dynasty. So that's a little bit more recent, but that's still 1500 BC.
1: Still nice and old.
0: Yeah, so it looks like muscular dystrophy has been around for quite a while. However, I wasn't able to find any studies that had tried to trace any of the mutations, probably because a third of cases seemed to turn up randomly, which makes it difficult.
1: Does that mean it also shows up pretty evenly across populations?
0: Um I again couldn't find much about that either, to be honest. Uh I found some things that might might indicate a potential origin, but again, there's no link to the there's not a strong link to the illness, so it's hard to say. But we have inherited certain subtypes of this DMD gene from Neanderthals.
1: Oh, so Neanderthals are the ones that they were that they're kind of in our genealogical genealogical family tree, but they're not we're not direct descendants of them.
0: No, they are a different species of humans. Some of us have some direct descent from them because Homo sapiens bred with Neanderthals, so that's how we have some of their DNA. So, in twelve percent of European populations, this gene from neanderthals exists and in 17 about 17 and a half percent of asian populations this this particular subtype of the gene also exists i can't say if that has any connection to duchenne but it was just an interesting fact to show that there's a very long history for how we've acquired differences in this very large gene
1: yeah It's also
0: possible that part of the reason why there's such a high rate of mutation is that the gene is so damn big, you're going to get a mistake across it just by the sheer numbers.
1: I guess so. So it feels like this isn't one that gives any benefit from having it.
0: There's nothing that I could find that specifically said so. It's probably survived because women are able to carry it without knowing that they have it and therefore there there can potentially be many generations where this doesn't cause any symptomatic issues, and then eventually, occasionally, people get it. But because child mortality has been high for a very long time, it's only really relatively recent history where that's changed noticeably, that it wouldn't have been spotted.
1: Oh, really cool. So what's the recent history? When did we figure uh, muscular dystrophy out?
0: Well, the disease itself was first described by the Neapolitan physician Giovanni Simola, and uh, this was in 1834, and was also characterised by Gaetano-Conte in 1836. So they gave the first descriptions of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. However, it's actually named after a French neurologist, Guillaume Benjamin Armand Duchenne, And he described the case of a boy with a condition in 1861. He was also the first person to examine biopsies from living patients. So he had a much more detailed description of what Duchenne muscular dystrophy was. So people later named it after him. He didn't name it after himself.
1: Oh, proud of you, buddy.
0: And then in 1986, researchers discovered that there was a gene on the X chromosome that when mutated led to Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And they then called the gene DMD, Duchenne muscular dystrophy gene. So this is one of those instances where the gene has been named after the disease rather than the disease, disease and the gene being named separately. Ooh. And then one year after that, in 1987, the protein that was produced by the gene was actually identified.
1: Okay, so they figured out what was causing it. What does that meant for the treatment?
0: Well, as I said, there are actually some promising treatments under development for Duchenne, which is, I'm really glad to say, really, with this one. So, there's a few. One of them is... So one of the treatments was conducted, uh, is being developed by the University of Alberta, and its kind of uh, common name is the DNA stitch.
1: Like stitch with sewing and thread?
0: In a sense, so what they use is a cocktail of antisense oligonucleotides. What that means are lines of genetic material that match part of the DNA. The idea is that it will attach to those bits and then they will insert the fixes. So it's like a stitch fixing things together. And then what this can also do is cause sections that are not vital to the protein functioning to be skipped rather than stalled. So it can go along reading these bits and going, I'm going to make this bit, I'm going to make this bit, and then when it gets to the part that's faulty, rather than going, uh, uh, this is funny, I'm going to stop reading it, it jumps over it and continues making bits. So you then end up with a slightly shorter protein, but it still does the job it's supposed to do.
1: Oh, so you can have a protein that doesn't have all the bits that can still do its job?
0: Yes, but that only works with certain mutations. So this could theoretically treat 47% of cases if it makes it to market, because it's only in the preclinical stage at the moment. It hasn't been tested on people yet.
1: Okay, so an exciting prospect, but still a ways to go.
0: Yeah. There are, however, some things that have made it to clinical trial that are very promising. So this is again a case of gene therapy. And remember how I said that the DMD gene is massive?
1: Yes, very long.
0: That means that you can't fit it into a virus to deliver it to the cells.
1: Oh, really? It's too big?
0: Yeah, way too big. So, scientists managed to develop a functioning microdystrophin gene that can be transported, so they worked out which bits they didn't need from this massive protein, and then what genetic material they needed to make that.
1: Oh, cool!
0: That must have required a lot of work, that would have been nightmarishly hard.
1: So, so. they have a little mini-gene to put into a virus for the virus to bring into the body?
0: Yes. And, as I said, there are two options that are undergoing clinical trials. So Pfizer, which is obviously a large pharmaceutical company, they have one that's waiting to start the Phase 3 clinical trials. so that's the final step before making it to the market. And it was estimated to start on July 16th, though that's probably been pushed back due to current global events.
1: Okay, but very exciting developments.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, so that one it could be a couple of years and then the clinical trial's finished. And whilst waiting for market approval, if it succeeds that, the people who are on the clinical trial will still be getting treated if it's not a one off. And then within a few years this could be on the market.
1: Wow, so this is a gene therapy, so it could be it could be almost a cure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. In theory, this could be a cure, especially because, as we were saying, you don't really grow back muscles, so if you just put them in, and you make the muscles keep themselves intact, they don't get replaced, so you don't have to worry about a turnover. Well. Oh. So, that one, my guess is that if it works, that could be on the market in five years. Wow,
1: well, that's amazing. That'd... There is a
0: second one as well. Ooh. So, a company called, uh, so a company called Sarepta Therapeutics, have also designed a microdystrophin virus delivery system, and Roche, which are a really, really big pharmaceutical company, have purchased licensing rights to this so that there's better distribution outside of the United States, and that should be finishing the phase two clinical trials by the end of the year. So if that one succeeds, it will be in a very similar position to the Pfizer one, and what's important to mention is that phase three clinical trials typically have a success rate of 60 percent so if the two of them make it to phase three statistically it's very good that one of them will make it through to market
1: yay that's excellent news
0: yeah this was this was one where i was so happy to see that this was available and that this was on its this was potentially on its way
1: yeah it's not and i think it it's worth noting. It's not all about, you know, curing a disability. It's about giving these people a longer lifespan and a better quality of life.
0: Yeah, it's 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 about giving people the autonomy that they deserve to have. Yeah.
1: So what are what are some of the stigmas around this one? I feel like they could be quite bad since it's such a physical
0: disease. Yeah. So I, I kind of focused more on what misconceptions were around it because i imagine that there were some quite unpleasant stigma but for finding like the kind of you know the myths that people have around them i was looking through the muscular dystrophy support sites and they're not going to include those sort of things and i think with this people kind of know what the stigma is probably going to be so the myths though are that muscular dystrophy only affects males is one of them now you can see where they're coming from where with the shen it's like one in. 3,000 boys, and it's one in 50 million girls. So you can kind of see where they'd say that only males are affected. But that's not true. And it does mean that there's a risk that, uh, you know, females could get overlooked if people genuinely believe that. Muscular dystrophy is not genetic, was another myth I found. That one was a strange one.
1: Oh. I mean, I guess people don't tend to know much about various disease- diseases, they just see it.
0: Yeah, yeah that's true. I just It just felt strange to me because obviously I've been doing the reading into this entirely through the scope of this being genetic, so it just felt very strange to see that one. There's another myth that uh, muscular dystrophy is a motor neuron disease. That's not true. Uh, motor neurons are essentially the wiring that tells your muscles to contract, and motor neuron disease is when those break down, whilst muscular dystrophy is where the muscles themselves break down.
1: Yeah, you know what? Understanding that difference requires some some knowledge. There, I'll give people a bit of a pass. Yeah,
0: nice. No, it's, it's understandable why there's that myth. It's just it's something that could be quite frustrating to put to people who live with either of those conditions, and it can also be frustrating if family members start like recommending things off the, off of the back of that misguided information. Now, one I found that. I don't know if this is annoying to people who live with this condition, but it did. It felt like something that would be irritating, which is bodybuilding supplements can help stop the progression of muscular dystrophy. Hmm. I believe the reasoning, in quotes, reasoning for this is to do with the connection of creatine and muscular dystrophy, but. Just
1: consult your doctor.
0: Yeah, leave this to a professional. Don't use bro science. And the final myth. Is that people with muscular dystrophy die young and fast? That's not necessarily true, and that's obviously that's not something that someone wants to be told either.
1: Yeah, maybe keep that thought to yourself.
0: Yeah, a decent amount of uh, how to be a better person around muscular dystrophy is ask them about their condition and keep your mouth shut. And on the back, and on and on that note, we're at the end of the episode.
1: Cool. Thanks.
0: So, got a little bit of reading for this one. Uh, I found a Science Daily article, which is probably the way to go about with this one. That's titled "Researchers Developing a New DNA Stitch to Treat Muscular Dystrophy." There is also the paper that comes with it, which is called "Exon 45 to 55 Skipping Using Mutation-Tailored Cocktails of Antisense Morpholinos in the DMD Gene." But I would recommend going with the Science Daily article.
1: <laughs> Me too. Okay. I hope you guys, I hope you all enjoyed that. If you want to get involved in the discussion or give us any feedback or let us know what topic we should cover next, get in touch with us on our Twitter at genetic Drift one on email at geneticdriftpodcast at gmail.com, or join our Facebook group. If you want to learn more about Duchenne muscular dystrophy, we recommend you check out Duchenne UK.
0: So this podcast's music, as with every other episode, is produced by William Kitchener Music, so please check that out. And on that note, withhold your judgement, because you can't see the genes, so don't expect to see the illness. Goodbye.
1: Bye.